Well, hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, May the 4th. Yes, May the 4th be with you. May the 4th, 2022. This is episode 3086 of the Survival Podcast. And it is Wednesday. It's interview day. The show's going out a bit late, even though we did the interview at a regular time because I'm off my game today. Because it's Wednesday. Doesn't feel like Wednesday. And it doesn't feel like Wednesday because I've been off since Thursday last week, but I haven't been off. I've been down at Float Fest, got back yesterday, did the show with John and Nicole that we put out on a Tuesday. There's no Monday. It's gone and disappeared, and it wasn't anything for me. I was still down in uh, Float Fest on Monday, so I'm totally out of sync. But I pulled off the interview anyway, you're about to hear. It went really good. We did it as a live feed on YouTube and on Odyssey and on Float and on Rumble and on Twitch and on Twitter. And I think that's all of them. Uh, Facebook, too, even though I don't go to Facebook. Um, but if you want to watch a live feed and there's some you know, some platform you just refuse to use, it's okay. There's If, if you won't use any of those, I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, Odyssey and Float are about as free speech as it gets. And if you want to watch the live feeds, it would be a great idea for you to do a couple different things. Uh, one, you can just get on our Telegram group. That's like guaranteed you'll see the notice. So you can get on the Telegram channel, actually. That way you don't have to have conversations with other people if you don't want to. You can get on the channel and the group if you do want to have those conversations. But if you're just on the channel, you'll get a couple, three notices from me a day, and you'll definitely get them. You can follow me on social as well, and you can check TSPC Live anytime. And you'll either see the next coming up live stream or you'll see the last one. If you see the last one, you'll have to check back later. So join the Telegram group because the live streams have been getting really great. We've been doing a lot of interaction, and this one went well. We're going to be talking today about raising and cooking meat rabbits with Nick DePew. I'll bring that on in just a minute. Before we do, let's uh, recognize our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is Backwoods Home Magazine. If you're ever sitting and thinking, how does Jack know all this stuff? Like, geez, I mean, where do you get all this knowledge? Well, I've been doing this for 14 years. I grew up hunting, fishing, homesteading, and stuff like that. Um, and I've done that my whole life. But I'll, I'll be honest, I, I did learn a lot of the foundational knowledge in reading Backwoods Home Magazine. Because I've been reading it for a while. First time I ever picked up a copy was 1993 at a Barnes and Noble when people still went to bookstores. I subscribed to Backwoods Home in 1994, and I'm still a subscriber in 2022. There's probably some of you that are younger uh, than my subscription time. At, but I bet there's a bunch of you guys that are that have not been alive as long as I've been a subscriber to this magazine. So it's really easy for me to recommend that you do too. You can learn more at backwoodshome.com. Next up, the Ridge Wallet. I am a fan of the Ridge Wallet. I absolutely love carrying the Ridge Wallet. Um, it has made my life better. Getting rid of a billfold and getting something like the Ridge Wallet uh, that's a minimalist wallet but also protects me against identity theft. And I've noticed something else. I used to often be like, oh, crap, I need to get a new debit card or whatever because the cards would get demagnetized and they wouldn't work. And since I keep them in this, you know, titanium case little wallet, 
they work all the way up until they have to be replaced anyway. So there's a lot of benefits to it. You're protected. It looks cool. You minimize. It works really great. And you don't have your card get demagnetized by whatever radiation we're being exposed to. Check them out and learn more today at RidgeWallet.com. Remember, they are an MSB supporter. And you can get 10% off everything, not just the wallets, but everything at RidgeWallet.com. With that, let's jump on into it and uh, drop into the live feed with our special guest, Nick Depew. And we are live. Welcome, folks. Uh, today I have with us uh, Nick Depew, like Depew on a, on a rifle or a firearm, right? And we're going to be talking about raising, butchering, and cooking rabbits today on the Survival Podcast. Leave us episode 3086, but I've had a workshop over the weekend, so I could be wrong. Who knows? Uh, but it's something in the 3,080-somethings, and uh, you can uh, certainly, uh, if you're watching the video live, it won't work yet, but there's a link in the video notes. About an hour after we finish the live stream, you can jump on over, get the audio version of this podcast, all the resources that you'll hear us talk about today. But with that, hey, Nick, man, welcome to the show. Hi, Jack. Happy to be here. I was mentioning to you before we got people uh, coming online with us, and we were kind of off off the air between us. I'm really glad you reached out on this topic. It's one of those things people ask me about all the time. And usually it's not, how do I? It's more like, why don't you do rabbit? It's just like, cause I got like 800 things going on and I don't need one more, right? Yeah. But I love rabbits. I think they're one of the most delicious critters on the planet. Um, the, the number ratios in meat production are through the roof. But before we even dig into bunnies, man, how did you get into like homesteading? I see you're a soon to be retired. That's a nice thing to soon to be Air Force yeah. E6. And uh, you're a homesteader. I know you've been around the community for a while. I've seen your name pop up here and there for a long time. How did you even end up in this whole world of crazy prepper, homesteading, permaculturist, nut jobs like us? <laughs> so believe it or not, it actually started with a dog that we had that was allergic to every single kind of critter, uh, kibble we could find. He had terrible skin problems. And my wife did a whole lot of research on how to feed him better. And uh, believe it or not, his name was Charlie, too. But um, we found this raw feeding thing. So we were like, all right, we'll give it a try. We went to Costco and bought a bunch of chicken and hamburger and that sort of thing and, and fed him this chicken and hamburger. And within, like, a week, his skin problems cleared right up. So we're like, okay, great, perfect. We found a solution, but it's really expensive. So then we started doing more research on raising our own meat in the city. We didn't, we didn't live on a, a farm or anything back then. And, uh, you know, found rabbits. So we picked up a, tr a breeding trio, and I built my first hutches, which were terrible. And we started feeding our dog rabbit. And he loved it. And ever since then, we've raw fed our dogs. And, um, you know, it's, 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 that's, that's how it all got started. Very cool, and I'm going to ask you just a little louder on the audio. Okay. I'm yeah. not getting any complaints yet, but you're just a little soft compared to okay. the pre-check. But anyway, um, there's a lot of breeds in rabbits. Rabbits are kind of like a, uh, you know, you say rabbits, and it's like, well, what kind? I mean, I've heard so many different breeds for so many different purposes, quite a few for meat, which is what we're talking about today. So what, what breeds have you focused on as, as meat animals? I've had quite a few different breeds. I've raised New Zealand's, Californians, uh there's a, it's called Dutch. It's actually a small rabbit, but it's a little meat brick, and they don't eat a whole lot of feed. Their feed the, the feed the weight ratio is pretty good. Um, satins, Rex, 
champagnes, Florida whites. We've raised a lot of rabbits, and in the in the rabbit world, it's called a class six rabbit. Uh, it's just the meat rabbit uh, class that it's called. But the the best thing that I've found is that if you get that hybrid vigor in there, you get you know a Californian buck and some New Zealand does. That's in, in fact what I'm getting back into right now is get trying to get that hybrid vigor. And uh, so pretty much any class six, you know, is going to make a pretty good meat rabbit. Uh, some people think that the giant breeds are make good re- meat rabbits. They eat a lot of feed and they have a lot of bone. Yeah. So I don't, I don't like to use the the giant breeds, the continental giants, the Plumish giants, uh, the checker giants. I don't think they make good meat rabbits. Yeah, I kind of look at that the way I look at people saying, "Why do quail when you could do chickens? Because chickens are so easy and they're so much bigger and all." And it's like because they got this little bitty egg. It hatches in 18 days, so that saves a couple of days, not a lot, but 18 days. But six weeks later, I can pop its head off, yank its breast out, and pull its legs out, and I can eat it. Yep. And, and like it doesn't eat that much food in six weeks, where if I'm going to raise, especially if I'm going to try to be sustainable or regenerative and raise my own, and I'm looking at some of the larger breed meat chickens, like you said, the, the bone-to-flesh ratio kind of flops there. Which is a good thing if that's what you're raising because otherwise you get like the Cornish crosses and that's why they have like broken legs. It makes sense that like if you're going to carry a lot more muscle, which is the part we actually eat, then you need a bigger skeleton to support that weight. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Now on the hybrids, so would you say as like if you were going to do chickens and you didn't want to buy them every year, you would do something like get a Brahma and an Orpington and, and keep pure strains on both sides and cross them rather than make a cross and then start breeding the crosses. Would you say the same thing in rabbits? Keep your kind of your pure strains or maybe a specific cross on each side. And so that all of those F2s are in fact hybrids that have that first generation vigor. I should say F1s. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. The F1 vigor is definitely a thing you can, as you go on, if you want to stay sustainable, you can keep start keeping back some of your hybrids and then just occasionally bring in new genetics. If you've got somebody else in the area that also raises rabbits, uh, you can trade bucks or, you know, take borrow a buck and bring them over, breed your rabbits and get some of that vigor back in there. But you can just take, you know, your breeding trio or your breed quartet and breed back into your, your hybrids. Um, you will definitely get more of that hybrid vicar though with the F1, just like pretty much any breed as far as I can tell. I think if you even wanted to be really like I control my own destiny type of thing, if you had a large enough rabbitry, you could have males and females of both on both sides and occasionally yeah. breed out some new stock into your, your primary breeders. Yeah. That's getting way more involved than I want to get. <laughs> but that way you're not dependent on some guy over here that's breeding, you know, purebred silver foxes or whatever, right? Like you yeah. could, and then I guess you, you'd you have another, like if you wanted to pay for your operation and instead of selling meat rabbits, then you could sell your purebreds out, bring revenue in and completely, and actually make, basically eat profitably. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like, very... it's not free. I got paid to eat this bunny, you know? Right, yeah. <laughs> well, we, we are also crazy rabbit people when we show rabbit, rabbits as well. And some of the rabbits that we breed, we we can sell them for $150 each. Just just one doe, $150. Wow. 
Wow. That'll buy a lot of feed. That'll buy a lot of new new stock. So yeah, there's you can go absolutely ape well with getting your system either paying for itself or profitable, like you said. Yeah, like when I look at that and I hear people talking about raising meat rabbits and then selling the rabbits for meat, I'm like, you're insane. You're, yeah. you're out of your mind, right? If you're gonna barter with your neighbor or like I'm gonna say I'll produce eight bunnies a quarter for my neighbor and that's one thing. But like as a business model. Because I look at it like, okay, so you can take 10 of your potatoes, get a pound of potatoes and sell them for like $2.99 to a gourmet restaurant that wants local potatoes. Or you can send those, sell those 10 potatoes to somebody on Etsy as seed potatoes for that particular heirloom variety. And you can get like $25 for the same pound of potato, right? Yeah. And I kind of look at rabbits, goats, a lot of these animals that way. Like you would be insane to try to go straight meat. Like, Grow the meat for yourself, your community, your neighbors, maybe your family. But if you want to make cash or Bitcoin or silver or whatever, you want a, a revenue model. Sell to other people that want to do what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just I just sold a couple of my breeders uh, a few weeks ago, and you know if I had butchered, you know everything else, uh, rabbit typically goes for about eight dollars a pound. So that rabbit would have made me maybe thirty bucks. Well. I sold that rabbit for $30 and didn't have to do any of the work. And yeah. they're, they're doing the same thing. They're getting into meat rabbits. So we got a guy making a comment here and I want to actually, I usually save all that stuff for the end, but, uh, RDB Pawnee says, and I will, we'll, we'll move on and we'll let him catch up with the lag. But uh, he said he did really good selling rabbits during the last couple of years. 20 bucks a rabbit right when they were weaned, people came from miles away. And I'm wondering if he was selling meat. Or he was selling bunnies. Like, here's your bunny. Take it and do what you will with it. Because what you just said, so let me let us know, RDB, on that. What you just said is the whole point to me. Like, I can take this rabbit, get less money, and do more work. I'm going to skin it. I'm going to gut it. I'm going to package it. I go to a whole different level of interaction with the man, right, you know, the state. Or I can just be like, bring your cage. Here's your bunny. Bye-bye. And I can get more money and less work and more money is what smart entrepreneurs do. Right. Yeah. You know? He was selling them as meat rabbits. And again, RDB were you know, as meat, but were you selling them live or were you doing the work? Cause that's, that's to me is the key. Like you can do whatever you want. I, I met a guy, I bought my Muscovy ducks from this spring and, uh, he, I bought enough that he gave me a little bit of a discount and he was like, I'll tell you why I can't give you more of a discount. And he's like, I sell these things to this huge Laotian community where he lives. And he sells specifically the Muscovy Drakes for 35 bucks. Yeah. Now they don't keep them. They eat them, right? They eat them, but he doesn't process. He's like, here's your duck. And it's actually like a big deal. Like when family comes in, they come by, like they buy a Muscovy Drake, 35, 40 bucks, depending on how big it is. And then the family participates in the whole thing together and that's neat, but the neater part is, here's your duck, thanks for the money, goodbye. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm all about that. Yeah. And we are talking about meat today, because I think this is one of the the best homestead meat animals on the planet. I would say, like, Muscovy ducks and rabbits are two of, like, the top, if you want to grow your own meat. They both keep their mouth shut. Well, they don't keep their mouth shut, but they don't make any real noise. Right. And they're a high yield, and they're not that much work. Um, no, no, they're not. So when you do butcher your rabbits, what type of equipment do you use? I think back so, to being a kid and sitting there with my little buck knife and shooting a cotton tail and 
you know, cleaning them out in the field or whatever. But what do you do when you're you know, maybe doing six or seven at a time? So there's there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, there's the cheap, I mean, no money into it. There's a broomstick method where you lay the rabbit on the ground, lay the broomstick over his neck, and then just yank up on the back feet. Uh, that does, does the cervical dislocation and kills him instantly. Um, there's a thing called a hopper popper that was sold on the backyard meat rabbit site and you can still get it. Uh, they're not as, uh, they're, they're kind of behind, of, uh, you know, either because of the supply thing or because they're just not getting as many orders. Um, there's also a choke chain method that we just recently found where you tie a rope to a tree branch that's well above your head and you put a, just a standard dog choke chain on, on the end of the rope. Okay. Cuddle the rabbit, kind of hold it close, put the choke chain over its head, and then you just jerk down. And that also does the cervical dislocation. Those are all the nice in the city, quiet ways to do that. Um, you know, you know, and a 22 works just fine too. You know, I've, I've dispatched a few rabbits with a 22. When they get really big, doing most of these methods is a lot more difficult. So we just put them in a little cage. They sit there and eat grass. They're happy. You pop them in the head with a 22 and they're gone. They don't, they have no idea what just happened. They have one bad millisecond. That's how I like to slaughter if I can. Like we had a lady on years ago that did pigs and she said when they were ready to slaughter a pig, they would fill up a bowl of uh, beer and corn and just put it in front of the pig. And when the pig was like down to its last slurp, they just pop it with a 22 in the head and it's gone, you know? That's a good way to go. I, I would do that here if I was raising them because the cervical dislocation works. But the 22 is more efficient. I was a trapper as a teenager. I actually, like, paid for everything that I had as a young man before I went off in the Army uh, running trap lines. And, you know, I would trap anything from muskrat up to, like, fox. And yeah. if you shoot the right spot, nothing ever does anything but maybe – Twitch a little bit and yeah. done. So, yeah, you get yeah. you get that nervous that nerve ending firing twitch thing, but yeah, they're they're gone. They have no idea what just happened. Yeah, if you want to be legal in the city, except maybe you're attracting attention, a good twenty two pellet gun. Will, I mean, you're talking point blank range, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Twenty two pellet gun will probably work. Um, I've yeah. never actually used that. I've always either done the the, the cervical dislocation or an actual twenty two firearm. Gotcha, so, gotcha. I, I shot a squirrel out of the tree at 35 yards with one yesterday, so it works. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the dog treated it. It's like, I promise, so we'll, we'll do it, buddy. Uh, so uh, when, when people talk about meat, then we're going to talk about eating. And people always want to know, well, what does it taste like? Um, and everything's good wrapped in bacon. But what does rabbit <laughs> taste like if, we, if we, we start before we wrap it in bacon? So basically, rabbit is just like the best dark meat chicken that you've ever had. It's got more, it, people call it chewy, but it's not chewy. It's got more chew to it. You, you bite into a, a chicken leg and it, you know, it falls off the bone and there's not a whole lot there. There's a little bit more to a rabbit. There's a little bit more chew. There's a little bit more texture. Personally, I love it. I just was eating rabbit last night for dinner. Uh, my family's not crazy about it. I don't know if it's a psychological thing with the, you know, the funny fuzzy bunny thing, yeah. or if it's something to do with I'm the only one in the house that likes dark meat chicken too. But it's it's basically like char- dark meat chicken with a little bit more chew and a little bit more flavor. Yeah, and, you know what I like in it too. People say it is like chicken, 
And I had this, I don't know if you know, you listen to shows, but I had this annoying freaking rooster that I finally <laughs> got fed up with named Billy Roy. And what kept him alive so long is he was a bantam and he made pretty babies. Yeah. Right. So it was like, not much meat makes pretty babies, but I'm finally done with them. And when I butchered him, I forgot what, how delicious like a two year old rooster was. Less meat, a little tougher, but the flavor. And I think they're more, and we say they taste like chicken. Well, if you're talking about Tyson, flavorless chicken from the store. But if you're talking more like the thigh meat of a more mature bird and not that tough. Yeah. But that that more substance to the meat, I guess is the way to put Mm -hmm. it. That's rabbit to me. And that's rabbit, that's squirrel. Like both of them have that kind of thing going on that I think anybody that does eat chicken that says they don't like rabbit, I do tend to believe that it's more a mental, emotional thing than a true flavor thing because Honest to God, if I didn't tell you what it was and so what is that, you would say it's chicken. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's how we kind of tricked our kids at first to, to, into eating it. It's like, you know, we're having chicken for dinner tonight. Yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, as long as you don't cook the whole rabbit, like, fricasseed or something, where it's yeah. like, that ain't no chicken. That ain't no chicken. Fool <laughs> me, Dad. So I had a, a buddy, and it was it was never the um, – never the uh, domesticated rabbits. It was always cottontails and stuff. But he's from Louisiana, and he used to make fried rabbit like like you would make fried chicken, like overnight marinated in buttermilk, rolled in, you know, 11 herbs and seasoning, and then deep fried. And it was really one of the most fantastic things I've ever had in my life. And and that you would be, you'd swear to God it was chicken, but you'd wonder how it ended up in that shape. Yeah. Where does the shoulder blade come from? <laughs> that's that's yeah, what I mean. No, I haven't tried that yet, but yeah, so I will uh, definitely give that a try. I mean, I've smoked them and and oh, every other way, every other way that you would cook a cook a chicken. Um, smoked. Yes. Yeah, I think I definitely want some bacon on that then. Yes. But, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Put a little fat on it, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's the way I I cooked this last rabbit was I I wrapped it in bacon. Well, I brined it first and then I wrapped it in bacon, put it in the smoker for a couple hours. And aside from me brining it too long and it got a little salty, it was great. It was it was freaking amazing. I I was like walking around work bragging the guys when I was having some the other day because one hind leg is a good solid lunch, good solid dinner for me. You know, so you can you can stretch a rabbit through an entire family, or you know, if you want to have leftovers the next day, save back a leg or maybe the two forward legs, and uh, you know. They, they make great leftovers, you know. Um, you know, if you do a stew or something, you can you can have leftover stew as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, how much meat can you raise with rabbits? I mean, what is the size of your rabbitry? What's your production numbers like? That type of thing. So right now, I just bought another buck, but right now I've got four does and two bucks, and with a good size litter, seven to eight rabbits in a litter. You can when you when you grow them up to five pounds, you, know, you you get three and a half pounds of meat off of a rabbit. So you know, okay, live weight is forty pounds. You know, uh, um, butchered weight is more like I don't know twenty math uh, twenty seven pounds ish. So it's you know, and that's one doe, that's one litter. So yeah. Then, you know, it takes them a month. I, I think we really need to hit that. That's one doe, one litter. Yes. And we have multiple litters a year. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, if, if, and once that doe has weaned her litter, 
you can rebreed her immediately. So you can even rebreed early because it's going to take that 30-day gestation before your next litter comes. We like to stretch it out a little bit to give her some time to recover because it does take a lot out of a rabbit to raise yeah. a litter to weaning age. Because these things get huge. I've got I've got two-week-old rabbits right now, and I mean they're they're just they're just big. They're huge, huge, huge little 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 bricks with meat, and they barely got their eyes open. So they grow so fast, and they take a lot out of their out of their mothers. But, you know, you do a six-week rotation or an eight-week rotation, depending on how the condition of your rabbit turns, your, your, your doe turns out. Um, yeah, you can, and you can. You can raise rabbits year-round. They don't mind the cold. They get a little unhappy when it's hot out. Sometimes the bucks will go temporary, temporarily stable. Not, sorry. Temporary. Um, sterile? The word, sterile, thank you. <laughs> They'll go temporarily sterile, but um, you know, as soon as it cools off a little bit, or you put a fan near them, cool them off a little bit, they'll they'll be right back in production. Very cool. And uh, what illnesses do we need to watch out for? I, I've found that whenever I'm dealing with any animal, like that's my number one actual concern as far as like predators are, especially with a rabbit, you're in a hutch or what have you. You yeah. can deal with a predator, but the, the real problem is the either bacterial or uh, other microbial viral infections that these animals can get. The main thing, main thing that you have to worry about when it comes to illnesses is if you've got a, a rabbitry that you're not bringing in more stock or, Putting, you know, changing out stock a lot. Illnesses doesn't don't really become a big thing. Okay. Um, wild rabbits, of course, are real hardy. They're getting all the vitamins and everything. You know, they're finding what they need. But uh, one of the main things that we watch out for is called uh, pastorella. It's a bacterial disease that actually gets into our respiratory systems, and the rabbits will actually start sneezing and blowing snot out of their nose, and it's pretty darn contagious. Now, all rabbits are going to carry some of this bacteria. The problem is, is when one becomes susceptible, they then will spread it out because it becomes that much more of a bacterial load on their system. Kind of the poison is in the dose type of thinking then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if we ever get a rabbit that we think has pastorella, we'll move them away from the other rabbits, quarantine them for a few days, See if they get better because sometimes they'll they'll manifest this under stress. Uh, the buck that I just brought home is he was stressed, so he's he's manifesting some of these sy- symptoms. We quarantined him anyway. He says that's just good practices. But you know we'll see if he recovers. If he doesn't, we'll have to call him and find another buck because we want to you know we wanted to have two bucks just in case something happens to one of uh, another thing you can watch, you have to watch for uh, when you're bringing home new rabbits is venereal disease. Mm. And basically, their genitals just get red, crusty, nasty, and that's almost always a um, antibiotic injection that you have to treat that with. So if you get a rabbit with VD, you're, you're going to want to just call it, you know, bacterial infections and antibiotics. They're expensive. And then you have to wait a certain amount of time before you can eat the rabbit. 
it's just it's it's bad news. You know, media is really bad news. And uh, the the last main one that we look at is uh, carcidiosis, and that also is a, uh, a bacterial thing that affects the liver. If you butcher a rabbit and it's got white spots all over its liver, uh, all over its liver, um, that's coccidiosis. It doesn't really manifest much in the rabbit, but it does affect the performance. You know, they're fighting off that disease. And if you've got a lot, if you've got rabbits that go off feed or they're eating their brains out, but they're not gaining any weight, they quite, they quite possibly have coccidiosis. You know, butcher one, open it up, see what the see what the liver looks like. And, and did you say that's called coccidiosis? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's a coccus bacteria. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then a couple of minor things that you have to watch for is diarrhea. Uh, and that's quite often if you have to switch feeds for some reason, they'll get diarrhea. Watch for that sort of thing. Uh, if you can get them hay, get them a bunch of hay, that'll help clear the diarrhea up. Uh, also some, like, Pedialyte electrolytes type of thing, give them some of that to help keep them hydrated while they're getting through that. And then it, once the, the kids start sampling mom's food, sometimes they'll get bloat and they'll, they can actually die from that. Uh, that's just a couple baby gas drops. You grab them and just force a couple, a couple gas drops into their mouth and usually that clears that up right up. Um, Go ahead, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, yeah, and the last thing I wanted to touch on is uh, the Australian government a few years back decided to take the um, RHVD virus and make it work better because they were overrun with with rabbits. Yeah, that's the face that I made, too. Genius. Um, Yeah. Genius. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, that spread... um, it's all over England. It's all over the west coast of America right now. We're in the central U.S. area, so we haven't really seen a whole lot of it. If you're buying rabbits to get started with, buy locally. Don't buy off the Internet. Don't do anything like that. Find someone local. You know, There's Facebook pages all over the place. You can find someone local. But RHVD is a big thing. It's a hemorrhagic disease that basically they bleed to death internally, and it's it's bad news. It's got a 90% mortality rate. So if you get a batch of RHDV in the area and you've got survivors, okay, they're immune. Their offspring's going to be fairly immune. But, you know, if you've got it in your area and you find a, a finer rabbit that you can buy, it's probably going to be okay. Uh, you might lose some of the offspring to it, but if you, know, if you can avoid the disease altogether and keep it from spreading, the, the rest of the rabbit community will be very grateful. <laughs> but the good news is that as of January 2022, a safe and effective, we all know how that works, domestically yeah. manufactured vaccine that protects against RHDD2, yeah. RHDV2, is available in the United States. And yep. the, the, hemor- the HRS strongly recommends all rabbit caregivers, including fosters and shelters, vaccinate their companion bunnies. Yeah, where have we heard that before? So let's let's go out, screw around in the lab, mess with a disease, yep. make it more virulent, then go, oops, 
Whoops. manufacture a safe and effective vaccine and recommend that everybody uses it. Yeah. And the, the greatest part is, is you can't even buy the vaccine to administer to your own rabbits. You have to take them to the vet to get it done. It's a four month cycle, I believe. And it's about $150 a shot. So yeah, if you're trying to raise rabbits for meat, you don't want this in your, in your area at all. It's, it's, it's bad news. Got you. Um, what about feed? What do you, how do you handle feed? Right now, we are still feeling feeding primarily pellets. Uh, I am working on building some rabbit tractors for putting them out there. We've done that in the past. It worked well. That we, we had a project with, with the Dutch. They ate crap out of the grass, and they barely touched the pellets. Huh. So I'm going to get back into doing that. I, I basically just took one of my chicken tractors and threw the rabbits into it. Um, I moved them enough that they didn't dig out very much, but um, that was actually the last batch of rabbits that I did, and that's when the family told me, or before I had my break, that my family told me, you know, we really don't like rabbits. This is a whole lot of work for something that we don't like. So I'm like, well, great. Thanks for telling me you're earlier, guys. So, um, but um, yeah, I did I did the rabbit tractors. Um, so right now, Long story short, we're, we're feeding primarily feed. Uh, I'm going to take some notes out of Joel Salatin's book that he put out last year, I think it was, Polyface Designs, and uh, build the rabbit tractor that he's got in here. And it's slatted well, bottom. A little bit for people? Yep. Yep, there you go. got a slatted bottom with wood, so you'll have to replace the wood occasionally. But it's much better than wire because if a rabbit is eating the grass, if it hits the wire, it's going to be like, oh, I don't like that, and they'll stop eating the grass. And the wood is close enough together that the rabbits can't escape. And that's the big problem with rabbit tractors is they, they'll dig, of course, because they're rabbits, and they'll get out, and all of a sudden you don't have your rabbits left. So that's one of the, one of the things I've got planned for this summer is to get one of those rabbit tractors built and get, get my grow outs at least out on grass. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, so you're, you're probably primarily feeding your bunnies, your grow-out bunnies on the yes. grass, right? Yeah. Because your breeders, you kind of, you don't have that many, and right. you kind of want them stationary. And I've always been told when you're breeding, you bring the doe to the buck. Yep. If you bring the buck to the doe, she might castrate them. Yep, yep. Does get very territorial about their cages. So, you, yeah, you always want to take the doe to the buck and then keep an eye on them. Some people will just, like, throw them in there and walk away and then wonder why their buck suddenly doesn't have a penis. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, you want to stick with means no. Yeah. Right? means no. And they, they, bucks don't think that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No means no. <laughs> um, on, on the feed, uh do you see like maybe some way to use like I obviously pasturing them with a tractor is a great way to go, but is there a way to basically like make your own hay or anything like that from grass? I mean, cause I've always thought like one of the reasons I'm such a fan of the Muscovy is that even though I feed my ducks feed, the ducks, when you feed them, they come running in and they, they just pig out. And the Muscovy's kind of just like, okay, when you guys are out of the way, I'll come over there. And then they come over and they eat a few pellets and they go back to their grass. Yep. So anything that eats grass, like we grow grass 
probably more than we should in America. We grow grass on every suburban street. Like yeah. if you don't have grass, you get calls, to, you know, to the to the man. Like they don't have grass. Like they have weeds, right? So if something eats grass, it's very sustainable. So is there any way we can extend that beyond the the grass season? Let's say depending on how far north you are, the grass season is shorter or shorter. Right. No, exactly. So the best way to do that, in my opinion, is to take the mulching blade off your lawnmower, put a standard lawnmower blade on it, let the grass grow a little bit longer than you normally would, and then just mow it. And you're going to automatically windrow it because you're ejecting it out, out the side. It's going to windrow sure. it by itself. And then you just leave it out there, turn it a couple times, and then you can rake all that up and you can actually buy or find plants for mini balers that it's it's just a manual baler and you can you can get bales from this size that you just throw bales into your rabbits every couple of days all the way up to a full size two string forty pound bale and you can bale all your grass and put it up as hay so then next you know during the winter you can have hay for the rabbits you can have you know a lot of the other uh, vegetables and whatnot that rabbits will eat that that all stuff you know it breaks, it, it dries out pretty nicely, and you could just mix it all in with your hay, uh, clover, um, what's in, what are some of the other ones? Crabgrass, comfrey, uh, honeysuckle vines, there's all kinds of different, uh, uh, forage that your rabbits can eat that is in a, is in another book I'm gonna recommend here in a second, that you can just mix all that in, and you can either make the little mini bales and throw them in one, you know, each one, one a day or one every couple of days and, you know, avoid the pellet as much as possible. So yeah, there's, there's tons of different ways that you can, you can preserve your grass and bale it up so it's not a hot mess and then, you know, give it to your rabbits during the winter. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to bring up, we have somebody here mentioning fodder and I'm not sure how they mean it. And so I just asked them, but, uh, tree fodder too, like uh, white mulberry and willow. And the main reason I bring that up is Nick Ferguson is going to be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if I don't say it, he's going to be like, "Hey, what you did you bring this up?" Obviously, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, any animal that we can start growing the feed for the animal, like that, just takes us to a whole different level. Because honestly, I don't know how many ducks I'd have right now if we didn't find a new feed source. Yeah. We found a new feed source. We have to go 90 minutes for it, but it cut our price from $20 a bag to 11 So the last time I was like, I have a truck. I don't have time. I paid a guy to go get it, but I got 35 bags. Yeah. Right. So it was like it, it paid for itself a hundred times over, even with somebody going to get it for me. But still, like, how long is that going to last? I, I really think that part of why there's so much more interest right now is people are starting to take this idea of food shortages seriously. And they're starting to see there is a war on meat. And the beauty of meat is it's easier. Everybody thinks it's harder. It's easier. Oh, yeah. There, there is, and it's not just meat. It's animal product is less work than a vegetable. If you forget to water your vegetable for 30 minutes at the wrong time, it's dead. You put a great big plumbed you know, water bottle in for your animals or a stock tank with a float valve, depending on what it is. And, like, you can't forget. And if you do forget... If you're like free ranging, like I do with the ducks, they come to the window like, dude, hey, <laughs> hey, um, did you forget that we're out here? Or we forget to feed them sometimes, like at night, they'll, they'll eat you. Like you're, you're walking along <laughs> your legs, right? 
where the plant's like, I guess he'll feed me when he wants to. But, I yeah. mean, you just get so much more traction uh, raising animals. I always get flack from vegans when I say that, but I'm sorry, guys. Like, you have your own opinion, but you don't get your own facts. It's easier to do. Yeah, oh, it totally is. And to answer the question about the fodder systems, that's a lot like when you're sprouting sunflower seeds. We yeah. use uh, wheat berries, and you sprout them, and you get basically, yeah, wheat or, or barley, uh, you basically just get this mat of grass with, um, you know, the root mass underneath it. And you can break that up into, you know, however big for the rabbit, you know, play with it, experiment with it, see how much they want to eat. Um, I've tried fodder in the past. I, for some reason, can't get it to stop molding. Okay. Uh, I bleach, I peroxide, I do everything with the trays that I, believe, I keep finding all these recommendations for the fodder systems. I just can't get it to stop molding. So I gave up on the fodder. If you live in a different climate, if you live in a drier climate, you might have a lot better success with the fodder and being able to feed that to your rabbits. It's a, you know, it's a little bit more work than just throwing them out on the pasture for, sure. you know, eight weeks or whatever until they get to wait. But yeah, if you want to do that during the winter, it's it's not free, but you definitely get a lot more bang for your buck out of those out of those seeds than just grinding yeah. them up and put them in bread or something. Definitely, and like so, I don't know if you're he's mentioning uh, Don here who brought it up. My five gallon bucket method, but I think it's the cheapest fodder system. Like all these people have these complex rack systems and all, and I just took a five gallon, a couple five gallon buckets, drilled holes on the bottom of them. Mm-hmm. Right, and then yeah. I have one bucket that has no holes. You put the first bucket with the holes in it, full of barley. Well, not full. You put you know a couple inches in, in the and you soak it overnight, and then you just pull it out and set it next to it. Dump the water through, fill it back up, put another bucket in it. You figure out how many buckets you need to grow out. And I never grew like the really high, like barley grass basically. Yeah. Like as soon as little greens are sticking up, okay, so it's five day cycle to get it to this. And feed it to the ducks. And and like you say, like, why would I do that when I have a pasture out here for them to, to be on? And it's, yeah. for me, it's two times a year. It's the coldest part of winter when everything dies and they don't have any green and they're, like, jumping off and plucking the last buds off my willow trees. Um, and it's midsummer, late July, early August when I go to my second Darth and everything dies off. Like, that's the only time I would do that anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I mentioned the kind of the tree fodder. I've never really done that, but I've started to grow some of the species because, you know, I'm not doing rabbits right now. But if things keep going the way they are, I might do one more thing. Right? Yeah. And I want to. Yeah. You got to get that stuff going. And to me, that makes a lot more sense because I, if even if I grow fodder, I still have to buy in the barley mm-hmm. or buy in whatever grain I'm or, or black hole. Like I love doing black hole sunflower sprouts for them because that's. That's stupid. He's the same bucket system, but I still have to go to Russell Feeds or Tractor Supply and have to buy in, and that stuff's been, even freaking bird seed, like black hole sunflower bird seed has gone up, and the they have, it's like shrinkflation. Yeah. So the bag went from a fifty pound bag for sixteen dollars to a forty pound bag for twenty dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed you know? that too. Yeah. yeah, so, like, if you could get them eating things that grow on your land, I think that that is kind of, like, the... No, I would not do an animal just because you can't yet, but that would be, like, 
that's your stretch goal, right? Like that's what you want to get to as much grown on site for the animals possible. And one of the reasons I said earlier that animals are easier because it's easier to grow what they eat than to grow what you eat. Yeah. Because they can do things you can't, right? Like yeah. a, a rabbit can literally live on grass and a little bit of browse and some clover and other light, like vetch and stuff like that. If you try to live on that, you will freaking die. Yeah, yeah. You are not meant to do that. Like people say we don't know what an appendix does. If you look at the size of an appendix in a rabbit, you'll know what it does. <laughs> it That's the shit. You, for, it's not a ruminant, and it needs to eat grass. The appendix is for the rabbit. Yeah. How we kept ours, I don't know, but ours does nothing. But the rabbits is really, really important. Yep, yep. So if we can grow food for the animal easier than for ourselves, it's easier to grow the animal than to grow food for ourselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said that upsets some people, but... I didn't make the rules. Nature, God, the universe, the spirit, the, the great karma, the great pumpkin, whatever did. Yeah, yeah. All we could do is live with the reality of them. Yeah, um, I've, been, I've been raising my own meat for over 10 years now. I still can't get a proper garden to grow, so. Yeah, yeah. The best gardens grow deer. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm in the right place. <laughs> um, I remember I was like in my second year, and a guy's like, I, I don't understand this garden shit. I've shot seven deer over my garden last year. I'm like, you have a deer garden. Like, yeah. you have a deer garden. Like, I, I don't see the problem here. Like, literally, like, okay, so save some money. You should go out every – I told this guy, so literally, you should go out and buy, like, a bag of, like, Rack X or whatever. Like, you know, it's like turnip and shit that's – and clover that's four deer. And just throw that shit in your garden and be done with it and just say yeah. that's what you do now, right? Yep. So do you have any good resources you can uh, – mentioned for people that want to get in, involved with rabbit breeding and stuff like that? I uh, got a, yeah, there's a couple. Um, so stories, S T O R I E S is a good resource for beginners. It gives you the basics on how to raise rabbits and, you know, how to pick a feed and what cage to use and that sort of thing. They get a little overboard because it's more geared towards pet bunnies. Okay. But, um, that's, that's a good place to start reading if you're thinking about doing rabbits. Uh, and then Beyond the Pellet by Boyd Craven Jr. Uh, he's, he's got three books out. The first one is basics on their hutches and how they, how they house and take care of their rabbits. The second book is all about feeding your rabbits on forage. He does zero pellets. He does all of his feeding off of his land. And then the third one, which I'm not a fan of because I've tried in the past doing a colony method. Uh, colony method is just throw all your rabbits together, maybe keep your bucks separate so you can control breeding, but everybody just hangs out together and and does their own thing. Uh, in my opinion, it's a lot more uh, harder to clean, uh, to keep sanitary. We did a sort of colony system while we were still in the city, and that was hilarious to get, you know, neighbors complaining about our rabbits, but we, we did it, and it worked out great for the first season, but then the second season, it wasn't so great. We started getting some disease. We started getting some some uh, pressure from the, the germs left over, so I'm not a huge fan of colonies. Some people do it, and they, they, they love it. I'm not a huge fan. So books one and two are Beyond the Pellet by Boyd Graven Jr. And I'll send you links to those, too, so you can put them in the show notes. 
Okay, yeah, because I was a little confused on the stories thing, but I think art by Lee Murphy here, she's got this for us. Stories guide too, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Okay. I I spelled it wrong. That's the problem. I I read it 10 years ago when I got started (laughs) and I I put it away. And then finally was Joe Salton's book for, uh, for, uh, rabbit trackers, for doing the rabbit trackers. He's a lot more in this book for the homesteader and for the medium to large farm too. It's a, it's an amazing resource. It's also a little bit pricey, but I picked it up because I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that. And get some, it, gets, it's, it has really detailed plans in it. If you pick this book up and never picked up a screwdriver before in your life, you can build a rabbit tractor or you can build a tr- chicken tractor. So it's, it's a great resource. Um, I've also got my YouTube channels that I'm trying to show some of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, Unfortunately, I'm still new at YouTubing, so my videos are pretty horrible, and I've only got a few up, but uh, come back in a year, and hopefully I'll have much better videos up. <laughs> yeah, and we got uh, we got Wink telling us, please be forewarned if you go on rabbit or guinea pig sites or groups. Many are oh. geared to pets and will ban all meat production talk. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yes. The, uh, the Backyard Meat Rabbit uh, Facebook site got shut down for a long time because of that. So they built one on Mealy. Yeah. And that one is all over the place. And now uh, Backyard Meat Rabbits is back on Facebook, but they're much smaller. They're much more subdued. There's much more rules. So if you want to if you want to get into the community, go to Mealy and look up Backyard Meat Rabbits or uh, BMYR. And uh, you'll find it that way. And, let me make a note of that. I'm going to add that. Yard bunnies. On me, we. That'll be good enough that I won't forget it when we get there, because otherwise I will. Uh, let's, uh, let's take some questions here. We got a few anyway. Okay. Uh, B-Rent says, any issues with inbreeding New Zealand whites? I guess that means that's what he's working with, but, uh, concern of inbreeding is something that, is pretty common among anybody that keeps their own animals, especially if you're not doing crosses and you're trying to maintain a colony. I, I guess it probably makes sense to bring in some new genetics once in a while. Yeah, yeah, you, you do want to bring in some new genetics, extra new genetics every once in a while. Uh, line breeding, where you bring off breed offspring to their parents, isn't so bad. Uh, Cross breeding, as in breeding litter mates or you know same pairings. That's a little bit more worrisome, but at the same time, if you find a trait in your rabbit that you really like, and two of the littermates have that trait, then breeding them together can enhance that trait, and then later on bring in a little bit more genetics. So inbreeding isn't so bad. I mean, it's you don't want to do it long term. You always want to I think it's the multi-generational that yeah. where you really, and I don't mean like you said, line breeding, like back breeding to a parent is one thing, but when you like, we've, we've crossbred siblings and then we crossbred grand siblings and then crossbred great grand siblings. Like that's where you really start to have like, you know, you're worried about maybe a second set of ears coming out or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, probably not, but you definitely, you definitely get a lot more problems with health from that sort of thing. You know, coming from the reptile trade for a while as a hobbyist breeder, there are times where you do get a trait, and if it's what's called a heterozygous trait, so it's a recessive trait, that means that you have to have both genes for that trait, for that trait to express itself. 
So a lot of times what you would do to still bring in new genetics, you, you go ahead and you crossbreed your siblings that express the trait. And then you outbreed those siblings to other critters from outside. Now you know you have 100% heterozygous, so they've got one of the genes, right? So you know they got one and one, and then you can bring those back, and then they're only half siblings. Yeah. And you bring them back in, and then you breed them to that prodigy that you know has both sides of the gene pool because it has to or it wouldn't be expressed. Now, that's with snakes, you're trying to make a lavender corn snake or something like that. But that same yeah. principle would hold true, I would believe, if it's if that's what it is. If it's not just this thing eats faster or whatever, and who knows why that happens. Um, do you ever run chickens below your rabbit cages? I don't because my rabbits are not right next to the house and ah. keeping the chickens off the driveway and the porch and everything else that I don't want them crapping on is very difficult. Uh, we've done it in the past. They scratch through. They they spread all the rabbit poop all over the pathway in our, in our outdoor rabbitry. Um, I know Joe Salatin does this to help build up his compost and whatnot in his uh, in his winterized chicken and uh, rabbit barn. Yeah. Um, I don't personally do that. I don't see any reason why you couldn't, though, as long as you don't. Yeah, I agree. Chicken poop on your porch. <laughs> I, I would personally say that, like, the best design for a system like that, chickens will go into things. So something that's more of a bin-type system, because I don't care what it is, a chicken's going to get involved in it. It's going to scratch. You give it feed, and if you let it, it will get in the feed and scratch the feed, even though it's eating 100% of the feed. So if you give it rabbit poo to go through, it's going to definitely scratch. So something that keeps the spread down. But I, I think something we didn't even mention, and people that are potential rabbit keepers need to think about, is the value of that manure. Oh, yeah. Like, we start adding chicken manure and other things. Like, okay, now we got a compost, right? But, like, rabbit manure, rabbit manure, plants, done. Yep. And I would believe there's probably local gardeners in most people's areas that would be doing this that would be happy to uh, to have a sack of rabbit manure, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, you, it's a sack of shit, and you're like, oh, that's gross. Well, not if it's rabbit poo and you're a gardener. Yeah, it doesn't no, smell bad. You don't have to compost it. It's a a cool manure. Mm -hmm. So to me, I, I've almost convinced myself to do it for the manure alone. Yeah, and yeah. I've heard people say if I didn't eat them, I would keep a couple just for the fertility aid that they they provide. Yeah, yeah, with me. When we take our rabbit manure and spread it out in places, yeah, the green the grass just explodes. Uh, we'll we'll throw a bucket in with the chickens, and they'll scratch through it and spread it out for us. So yeah, definitely if if you've got rabbits and you've got manure, you've got long term fertility. Boy, that starts making me think leader follower system. Yeah, you're getting like so you take your chick your trap your chicken tractor and put it about like three rotations back. So here goes the rabbits. They move, takes three more moves, and the chickens catch up to that rabbit. And then oh, yeah. they're scratching that rabbit manure into the ground. You've given some time for it to come back. They're breaking pest cycles. Yeah. That sounds like a way to really uh, improve uh, improve your uh, your your uh, your pasture. Uh, any experience with Rex rabbits? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Those are the really big rabbits. You kind of already said you don't really do the big rabbits. No, the, the, Rex, the Rex rabbits are a normal meat-sized rabbit. Um, they are psychotic, so we don't raise Rex rabbits anymore. 
they have a very dense, soft fur, and that's what they were they were developed to have. Um, we liked the texture of them, but they, uh, I think they're just been inbred too much or something. Every wow. Rex we ever had was absolutely psychotic. Uh, you'd go to touch it, it would grunt, box, bite, everything else, and we tried and tried and tried. You know, we'd, we'd get one friendly Rex rabbit and try to breed her back, and the offspring would be insane again. So, Maybe they're just smart and they're like, nah, nah, I know what you do. <laughs> <laughs> that could be, that could be. Yeah. So, but, you know, the Rex, the, that, that if you're going to tan hides, I would definitely try Rex. They have amazing, amazing pelt that is okay. absolutely wonderful. Uh, K-Bomb says, I've only had game rabbit. Is there much difference in, in uh, breed flavor or taste? I'll, you can give your answer on this. My answer is not really, but there is a difference in how much meat there is to every cut. So you can, like, if you can take a rabbit apart, if you want to go that far, and you can break down a deer. It's mm-hmm. the exact, you've got, they call it a saddle and rabbit, but it's basically you've got your rump and your back strap and your rib strap and your neck roast, and you've got your, the, the front legs will come off exactly like a little mini deer. You've got your back legs. It, there's a sirloin back there where the rump is, etc. No one breaks it down that much, but you you could. Yeah. And every single one of those cuts in a you know domestically raised meat rabbit has more meat. And I would also say they tend to be more tender, even though like you said they're more chewy than chicken. But they are more tender because that cottontail spent its whole life trying to not be eaten by a bobcat. Right. Right, And every once in a while you pop a young cottontail early in the season and it's a pretty tender bunny. But, you know, a lot of times when you're out hunting, you're shooting a rabbit three or four years old. Yeah. So I, I'd say it's smaller cuts and a little bit more tough. But the taste to me, I don't, I don't know how you feel. Just, I, I really don't notice a difference. You know, I, and to be honest with you, I've never eaten a wild rabbit. Okay. What you're saying makes a lot of sense. That the, the, you, you might have a little bit more flavor because you're getting that extra blood flow through a rabbit that's yeah. running around constantly. But a domestic rabbit, you know, like it or not, they've got a confined space that they're not doing a whole lot of running. Yeah. So, yeah, the meat's going to be tender and everything else. Even a trackered one, like, I really didn't think about it, but a trackered one is still only going to do so much mm-hmm. activity yeah. where if you watch a, if you watch a, 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 a wild rabbit in its wild habitat, it, it moves around a lot just every evening when it, like, okay, it's getting closer to dark. I don't see any hawks. I, Guess I'll come out and eat some, like, they, they yeah. do a lot of movement, you know, and if you've ever run them with beagles, they're, they're, they're fast and they spend a lot of time using that to stay alive. And like I said, older, like, I'm sure you occasionally have coal rabbits, right? Like, so your breeder, you're going to retire, you don't throw it to the dog, you, you eat it. And it's going to be probably more like a coal rabbit rather than a fryer bunny is, is, is my best comparison I can do. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a stew rabbit or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, question, I have a doe that I've raised kids out of her five years. Her last litter came a week early, all stillborn. Should I retire it? Um, five-year-old doe, possibly. Give her another try. Every once in a while, the rabbits just, you know, I had a doe that her first litter was stillborn. And, you know, that's that can be common with first, uh, first-time moms. Uh, but if she's five years old, 
it might be time to retire. Yeah, yeah. give her one more try, see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's, it might maybe be start interviewing for replacements at least, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Um, this one, Doug Dixon says, "How do I influence local prices? Most local people only pay twenty bucks for meat rabbits. Barely covers feed costs for twelve week fryers. Deep rooted belief in cost here." My way I handled that, so when I started selling eggs, everybody here was selling eggs for like three bucks a dozen. I just put them up for sale for eight. And if I would have just done that, probably nobody would have bought them and it would have had no effect on the market. Now, this is duck, not chicken, but still, you know, eight dollars a dozen for eggs. I'm selling for ten now and I have no trouble. But what we did is we marketed heavily what we did that was different than what everybody else did. So we marketed that they were free run range. We marketed that they were no, no soy, no GMO. We marketed, you know, I put the duck chronicle, you're wearing a duck chronicle shirt right now, right? right? Like, and I, I, I put duckchronicles.com in our advertising and in our marketing. Go look at what we do, you know, how, how our ducks are cared for. And by marketing a premium product, I sold the product for a premium price. And then we watched as the local market started going instead of racing to the bottom. They started coming up in price. They had something to shoot for because they figured out, you know, competing on price doesn't really help me. And okay, so when when Bill drops another dollar, and I'm already in the hole, what do I do? Because the problem with losing money on selling anything is the more you sell, the faster you go bankrupt. Yeah. Right. And the more you produce, the more you have to sell, so you can go bankrupt faster. And that's. Yeah. That's not good business. How, do you have any thoughts on you know influencing market pricing? Uh, in my opinion, you can't. You really can't, especially in such a niche market like rabbit. Uh, all you can do is, if you're going to sell rabbit meat, you know, try to reduce your feed costs by tractoring the rabbits. Um, try to find some of those even more niche markets where if someone wants a rabbit, they're going to pay your prices for it. And like you said, marketing. You know, we tractor our rabbits. They get all the fresh air and all the all the good stuff. We give them vitamins, whatever you're doing for your rabbits, that you can market to people. Definitely, definitely do that. And if you're just if you just got a, a barn full of rabbits and give them the cheapest feed you can find, and not really taking care of them, then you know, maybe you need to get out of the rabbit market. Yeah, definitely. Um... Harley says, would wool rabbits be good for longer-term cycle production? So you get wood, then you get compost, then you get meat. Wool rabbits are a lot of work. Um, You have to keep them groomed. You have to mess with them a lot. Uh, I've got friends of mine that raise wool rabbits, and oh, dear God, when we get calls from them, the mats are so bad. You know, sometimes even the dog has trouble getting through the wool that's matted on their on their bodies. So wool, if you've got a market for rabbit wool, or if you can make, you know, if you can take the wool and make a sweater, then you know, add to it, you know, that that value add. Um, just selling straight rabbit wool. If you're if you're looking, if you've got a market for that, by all means, give it a shot. Uh, wool rabbits, most of them don't have a good meat yield that I can think of. Um, the only one that I can think of that might is the Angora, and because they're a bigger rabbit, but the, the taking care of the wool is just a nightmare. You know, when we go to shows, we people see people taking care of their rabbits, 
they're grooming those rabbits every every other day at home, and then they go to the show and they're spending an hour before they even put the rabbit on the table, blowing it out, grooming it, and, and making sure it's it's got its best wool possible. So yeah, I, the knowing you have a market thing too, and it's not. I saw somebody advertising the wool for this much, and I think I can make money. That is not a market. A market is you have a buyer. And the buyer is willing to pay what makes doing the work worth doing the work. Because all I can hear in my head when somebody says wool rabbit, I already think, okay, so a sheep's pretty big. And there's a global market for sheep wool. Global, right? And I can just hear Greg Judy going, well, it costs you more to pull the wool off the sheep than you get for the wool. So why would you do that? That's all I can hear in him. Like, uh, And I know somebody's going to be like, I make a bunch of money. Well, good for you, right? That's great. But for the average person, I just like it's like when you had an old forty-five record, you got a scratch in it, and it would skip and keep playing that track. I just I have Greg Judy in my head right now, going, <laughs> "Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Yeah, <laughs> you, know? And, yeah. And, you know, wool rabbits. From what I understand, from all my, all my friends that raise wool rabbits, you don't even shear those. You, you actually pull the fur out. You, you strip it out of the rabbit, and then you put it in your spinning wheel and. and Oh God, I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? <laughs> yeah. To, to dust off an old cliche, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing. Ain't nobody got time for that. Went from being in vogue to a cliche. That's how old that one is. Yeah. But, uh, here's a question. I don't even actually know the answer to this. Bill says, can you use too much rabbit manure? I would say like, you can use too much of any fertility aid, especially with certain things. Like, I think it's way overblown with peppers. Because they're like, don't fertilize your peppers. Okay, then you won't get any peppers. Um, but if you really do, like I, I remember one guy I knew, he was trying to really improve some crappy land. And he was commercially growing jalapenos, which if you want to make no money, that's a good thing to do. And uh, he put down like, he got a ton of worm castings. He put down like an eight-inch layer of worm castings on like, it's like an eighth of an acre patch of jalapenos. Wow. And it, his plants were like six foot tall yeah. and almost no peppers. Right. So oh. you can't over fertilize certain things, but I, it, it's not like it didn't grow plants. It just, the plant was so nutrient heavy. It didn't fruit because most fruiting plants need a little tiny bit of stress. But other, yeah. I, I don't know that you could ever hurt a plant with rabbit crap. No, no, we, we actually had some raised beds that I built a few years back for my wife's uh, flowers and whatnot. And a three-foot-high bed, eight-foot-long, two-feet-deep, I filled that circle with rabbit manure. And, yeah, it broke down some more. We lost some volume, but those plants went ape shit. And, <laughs> you know, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. So yeah. I don't, you know, it depends on what your goals are, of course, if, you know, if you just want big, beautiful plants, I don't think you can use too much rabbit manure. Yeah, I, I, I kind of look at rabbit manure like deer manure, goat manure. It's all pelletized grass. Yeah. Right? It's processed. But like the, the animal took what it wanted and everything that's left, it's sent out. And it's it's nothing like chicken or duck or dog or human. It's, mm-hmm. it's a totally different thing. And even though, like, okay, if they're eating grass, you would think like a cow – and a rabbit would produce a similar manure profile. They do not. They don't produce a nasty patty, right? No. And nasty patties are great for growing grass, but they're not great to apply directly to a garden where any of that pelletized, you know, I think if you had an elk farm, you could probably 
use that the way you use oh, yeah. rabbit pellets. Like, you know, I, I don't think you can overdo it personally. I think that you would, I don't know how you would. Maybe it can be done, but you would have to like intentionally maybe do it. Yeah. Um, K Bonk says, idea tractor train rabbit chicken. We kind of talked about that. My personal opinion in a leader follower system, if I'm going to take a scratcher like a chicken, I don't want to be straight on top. I want to leave a, I want to leave a lag in that overlap. Like I was talking about three days and I don't know if that would be the number. Like there'd be something you'd play with because as you start to attract insects and soil organisms, that's really what the chicken wants. So if the rabbits are pelletizing an area and the day I move, so I put the rabbits here today and tomorrow I move the rabbit or maybe half day moves, boom. And I bring the chicken there. All of the soil organisms, all of the flies, all of the things like that, they're showing up later. And that's that chicken wants to be a predator. Like, it'll eat seeds and weeds and little bits that are left behind from the rabbit. It'll eat that. But it's that's the, that's the asparagus. We all like asparagus. But the steak is why we bought the plate. Yep. And the chicken wants the, 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 the organisms. It wants to eat living things. That's why people say, it's a vegetarian chicken. I'm like, God, what have you done? Seriously? Oh, God. No. Yeah. So that's we what see those, we just laugh and keep walking. <laughs> <laughs> rabbit vegetarian, totally. Yeah. Right? Like, rabbits are vegetarians. You, you gotta, if you have a vegetarian chicken, you better put it in a cage. And then you better put the cage inside a building. And then you better hermetically seal the building. Yeah. Because, you know, if you, if you doubt this, have a group of chickens in front of you and get a grasshopper, poor bastard, oh, you know, <laughs> and pitch it where, where they don't, doesn't go to them, but they see it and watch the fight. Or yeah. there's nobody that's raised baby chickens that hasn't like been digging your garden and you find a grub that you know they can't get down and you're like, here you go guys. And then you watch the, the, <laughs> the melee go on, right? From like, you hear the Benny Hill music, da 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 da. You know, yep. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna have to make a viral video of that. Like the chickens fighting over a grub with the Benny Hill music. That would be freaking hilarious. Be perfect. <laughs> uh, let's see. We already hit him on the wool rabbits. I don't know how that got out of line. Uh, John mentioned the, uh, uh, the disease you mentioned with the spotted, uh, livers. Uh, we talked about that. Is there any tips on preventing it? Do we know what causes it? Uh, it's, it, it does live in the soil. So if you're tracking your rabbits and getting spotted liver still, you need to move your rabbits to a new spot or move them more often. Um, if you're still getting it, maybe give your land a rest. Maybe put them in, in hutches and cages for a year or so. Let your land rest. Uh, you know, it's, it's in the soil, so if you mow the grass and get the grass up and move to a tarp or something like that to where it's it's not going to pick up those organisms as quickly, you could probably reduce the amount of coccidiosis in your, in your, in your rabbit tree. And, and Lovecat says it, she thinks there's a vaccine for it now. I'd, I'd go practice over medication any day if possible. But Yeah, there in, uh, in Beyond the Pellet, there's a couple of uh, natural... Carcidiites uh, that will help kill kill down the, the parasite or the organism that causes carcidiosis. Uh, as far as there being a vaccine, uh, we don't typically worry about vaccines. If one of our rabbits gets sick, we'll treat the rabbit. Depending, you know, if it's a valuable show rabbit that we're 
you know, looking to try to sell or, or get more show rabbits out of it, yeah, we'll treat it. If it's a rabbit that just, like, oh, you're ugly, you don't have the meat on you, we'll just pop it into the dog. Dog food, something, right? Like, and I think, like, I'm not a purist on this stuff, so, like, if you had a chronic problem and you did the natural things you could to solve it, and what what worked for you was a vaccine for a specific thing, I wouldn't condemn you for it, but I would always try the other thing first because a lot of these decisions seem like, oh, I'll just do this. It's like, I'll just use fertilizer on my farm because it's easier. Okay, so now we've weakened the plant's ecos, uh, the, the plant, the plant's natural defenses. So now the pest comes. So now I have to spray a, an, a pesticide. So now I've killed off the insects and I've killed off the plant's natural resistance, and the plant grows slower. It grows faster, but it doesn't spread as quickly or what have you. So then the weeds come. So now I need an herbicide. So now I've affected the soil biology even more. So now I need more fertilizer. And it just starts this whole biocide cocktail dependency. And the best thing would be these rabbits got sick. I've improved my practices. I brought in new genetics. These rabbits still get sick. These rabbits don't kill all these rabbits. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that's... That's how nature does it. I remember Michael Saylor in one of his interviews was about Bitcoin, not animals, but he brought up animals. And he said, the reason nature looks beautiful is everything that's sick and weak dies. Yep. Right? So if you want to do it the natural way, you know, it makes me think of the thing. It's like, vegans, I love nature because it's so beautiful, and there's a little mouse sitting next to a frog, and then the next thing says nature, and the frog's eating the mouse. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this giant African yep. bulldog swallowing this mouse. And then, like, if, if we had any any uh, offended vegans or vegetarians make it this far, uh, here lies little, little here lies Kitty Thomas says, "I raise mice for my pythons. The best best laying, I'm sure she means chickens. Expect pinkies weekly." Oh yeah, oh, but, like God. I mean, yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen chickens absolutely destroy a mouse, like a full grown mouse, and I've seen I've seen ducks eat a mouse alive, like a snake, like okay. a smaller mouse, like just pick it up. Head goes back, chomp, 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 and down the gullet. And I've seen geese throw rats, like when they're too big to, to, to really do much too directly. Like I've seen a goose with that long neck reach down, grab it by the tail, and then the goose neck goes like this. <laughs> and you see this rat just go flying through the air. <laughs> I better go find a new place to be a rat because this, yeah. this is not the place. So. Yeah, nature is a harsh mistress, man. Yeah, Paul Wheaton's got a, an awesome video from years ago uh, about chickens fighting over a mouse, and it's just absolutely hilarious. I don't think you put the Benny Davis music on it, so you put the Benny Davis music on there, and you got a viral video. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we've got Love Cat saying, again, you know, you have to have enough stock to be able to cull like that. And I agree, like I said, I... I don't judge anybody. We're all trying to, to, to make our way through. But, like, if you want what I think the best practice is in the best situation, if you could do it, you know, then you're not dependent on somebody else for that. And then, like you said, like, well, what are you talking about here? Are you talking about, like, some breeder bunnies that I can go, this one sucks, let me get a new one? Or are you talking about a show rabbit that you can sell for 300 bucks and you can save it with an $8 vaccine? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, like. If, and think about it, like eight bucks doesn't sound like much, but if you're talking about a bunny that's worth twenty bucks in meat value, and I've already got twelve dollars in cost into it, and now I'm going to drop eight bucks into vaccine into it. Now I'm I'm at zero, and everything yeah. after that I'm just going negative. Yeah. So yeah. I think it has to do with what we're doing, you know. 
Anyway, uh, dude, this was a great interview. I really appreciate you re- reaching out. Nick, do you have any personal websites, resources, anything you can uh, let people know about? Uh, all I've got is my uh, my YouTube sites. I'm still sorting out which way I want to go with my YouTube sites, either just okay. have me or my, my handle. But uh, I've got a couple of videos out. If you want to go check those out and, you know, burn me mercilessly, by all means, go for it. Um, I'll get more videos out. Uh, I don't have websites or anything like that. I just wanted to give back to the community and, you know, share what I knew. And then if somebody finds this in a year and wants to learn more, hopefully there'll be a lot more stuff out there. And uh, if I do have anything for sale, buy it from me. <laughs> but I do have both of your uh, YouTube links here. I'll make sure they're in the notes and so everybody knows uh, everything we talked about, except if I forget something, then you can remind me in the comments over there. We'll be on the blog, the survivalpodcast.com. That's where all the audio versions and we embed the video, uh, and everything, uh, again, about one hour after this live stream ends, which is about to happen. And, uh, that'll all be up there. So you can follow the link below to get that. And I'll make sure Nick's links are in that as well. Uh, dude, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, and I think we got the understatement of the day here from Wink here at the end. Mother Nature is not a Disney princess. <laughs> Love it. All right. Thanks a lot, Jack. So I I hope you guys enjoyed that. I really do. Uh, It was a great interview. My wife asked me when I finished that interview up, how'd that interview go? And I said it was fantastic because it's just a regular guy that knows his stuff. If I ever had like a really advanced rabbit interview, like somebody that was like way over the top, you know, giant kind of system going on, like running rabbits and tractors like they were freaking, you know, like doing it like Joel Salatin chicken style or something like that, and it was like super advanced, I would be like, hey, go listen to this first and get the foundation. And that's what most of us need are those foundational episodes. That was an episode that if you really want to do rabbits with a little bit of research and use the resources uh, that that we were given there uh, by Nick, and I have all of them in the show notes. He sent me an email, so I can't screw it up this time with all the links in it. So I'll put them all in there for you guys. Then, you know... You can go out and do rabbits confidently, and you can start raising meat for your family and maybe your neighbors. And I really want you to think about the fact that if if, if I got into rabbits, and I'm not going to, but if I did, I I right now can tell you flat out, I would do the work, right? It's one of my favorite statements, do the work, and I would get into Excel, and I would figure out exactly how many rabbits do I need to raise a year to sell to people who want to raise rabbits themselves at a premium to pay for everything else so that I don't eat for free, that I actually get paid to eat my rabbits. And, and I can tell you just by some anecdotal conversations with people doing this, it's not only possible, it's actually not hard. If you, if you, see, I talk about do the work. Do the work involves doing the right work. That's what gets left out of do the work. Because people here do the work, and that just means if you're active, if you're doing stuff, you're getting it. No, no friends. Do the work means knowing what the work is you need to do. And this is something that's one of the best ROIs out there because of the meat yield relative to the labor input, relative to the cost of feed, relative to the quality of the food, relative to the, the, the financial opportunity attached to it. So... Don't think that means, Jack, don't, listen guys, 
Guys or gals, either because I've met people, the wife listens or the husband listens or, you know, one side listens all the time and then the, the spouse listens once in a while, right? You cannot take what I just said and go to your spouse. This is not, you can't do it. No, 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 don't do this. You can't go, Jack Spierko said that we should do rabbits. That's not what I said. Jack Spierko doesn't do rabbits himself. I wouldn't tell anybody else they should do rabbits. I'm saying it is a viable way to address the problem of the coming food shortages, specifically meat, and it can be done in a way that is not just economically viable, but economically profitable. All right. On that, let's say you like this show and you thought, you know what, Jack gives pretty good advice. I want to help support him. You can become a member of the MSB, and I'm just going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you the code today. Maybe I'll tell you. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But if you were to go to the survivalpodcast.com right now, And you were to start scrolling, you'd find a page that I used to put out a bunch of resources for the talk that I just did at FloatFest. And if you found that page, which would not be hard, you wouldn't even have to go to the second page of the site yet. You just have to scroll some. You would see right on it a discount code that would save you money on the MSB. How much? I don't know, but it's pretty good. You might want to check it out. All right, so join the MSB and help support me. Or do your online shopping at tspaz.com or both. But if you go to tspaz.com, you'll see all the things that I recommend, and you can save a bunch of money, too, because I always recommend things when they're on sale. I have a product to recommend that breaks the mold for me. I don't own this product, but it is a highly recommended product from no less than expert council member Sean Mills. I haven't brought it to you in almost a year, and the reason I brought it to you today is, once again, it's on sale, and it's on sale stupid cheap in the middle of a supply shortage, and it's something that many of you don't need because you've already shored up this part of your life, but many of you do. It's a generator. It's made by Briggs & Stratton. It is a 4,500 watt, 4, watt uh, smart series inverter generator, and it is on sale today for 835 bucks. 835 bucks. Now, look, this generator sells all the time for about $1,200. The retail on it is $1,299. It's on sale at Home Depot right now for just under $1,200. It's like $1,198 or something like that. You can get it shipped to your door from Amazon, shipping included, for $835 today. Does that mean you'll be able to buy it for that price tomorrow? I don't know. The last time this thing went on sale, it was like 20 bucks more than this. It stayed on sale for about 48 hours, and it disappeared and went back to the regular price. I don't know if like Briggs gets a surplus and they clean it out. I don't know why it goes on sale like this, but it does about once a year. This particular model goes on sale at this price. If you've been waiting to add a good quality high wattage generator to your home. This is what you want. And I got to do something <clears throat> this this weekend. I got to hear this generator running. It is quiet. It is quiet for what it is. It really is. This, and there was one called the Predator. There were tons of RVs at FloatFest. And I kind of walked around and I would listen to the different, RV, or the, the different generators. The Champion, the Hondas, obviously, which are a little bit quieter. The, the Predator and the Briggs inverters, they were all really you know, kind of quiet relative to the concept of a generator. To give you a, an idea, the uh, the three the three thousand watt EU three thousand watt Honda is only two dB quieter than the forty five hundred watt Briggs and Stratton. And by the way, for less than the price of um, the Briggs and the 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 three thousand watt Honda, you can buy two of these. 
and you'd still have enough money to buy a couple gas cans and fill them up. Really, you got to check this out. If you don't have a full-on, full-size generator, you need to look at this. And if you have one, you, you probably want to look at this as a second generator. Two is one and one is none. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Again, I appreciate you guys tuning in today. Remember what I said about the rabbit thing. And try to think this way with any of these, these enterprises you bring into your home. It's not a hobby. Okay? It's not a hobby. Hobbies are a way to lose money. Right? And it can be like a hobby. You can enjoy it like a hobby. But one of my best friends is a, a dude named David. And one of the deals that his wife and he have is when they do something like this, they have to make it at least pay for itself. Look at something like rabbits and realize it's actually one of the easier things to do. I see these things being sold all the time for big-time money. And it would be much, again, I want you to just think about this as I wrap up today. It would be easier to sell a few breeder rabbits a year than a whole bunch of fryers, even if the fryers are profitable. With that, has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. They gonna bail you out or just run you around. They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you. A better way.